0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday, the 25th of the 8th. Michael, how have you been?
1: I've been fine, Gary. Thank you very much. And how are you?
0: I've been good. I've been spending my day trying to uh, understand some statistics. Yeah, those figures, Michael, that people say. Everyone repeats them. And then at some point, someone will go, where did that come from? And no one will seem to be able to remember.
1: I think the technical answer is from my
0: arse. Yeah, I I have been looking into the plan for this amnesty for, as you would prefer, illegal immigrants, undocumented migrants, or irregular workers, I believe is the other term. Many options available to you. I think this one is is interesting regardless of what you feel about immigration. Long-time listeners of the show will know that I have a pretty hard line and I'm of the opinion that the best cure for illegal immigration is not amnesty, but mass deportations without mercy.
1: Well, I'm against law-breaking. Um... However, I'm fairly pro-immigration. I, I don't have a problem with people coming into the country. I mean, particularly when there are people from places like Brazil and the Philippines, Mongolia, China. I think these are people who come in with uh, good cultures, good work attitudes, add something to the country. I, I, I don't have a let's throw the wall up and keep the bastards out attitude. I think we've been very lucky in, in some ways, in very many ways about the very significant immigration that has taken place. I think in the OECD now we have the highest proportion of our population which is not native-born.
0: In general, my view on it is that country is free to pick whatever immigration system it wants to have. And if you want to have a system where basically anyone comes in, that's perfectly fine. And If you want to have a system where basically no one comes in, that's perfectly fine, as long as it is decision of the people. That is what they want for their culture. That, I think, is, is a fair way of doing it. Amnesties though annoy me immensely because in that case there is a law, there is a way of doing this. In many cases you will have had people who've gone through a legal process, often quite onerous, quite expensive, and have gone through it the proper way and then you just turn around and go well if you had just ignored the law for a couple of years you'd be fine. And they're always positioned as you know this is a once in a generation thing, this is a once in a lifetime thing, it will never happen again. Yes, and in most cases you give it a couple of years and they happen again because once you've accepted it as a humane thing to do it kind of makes sense to do it again
1: well if you do it for reasons of humanity and decency then you've established that this is a humane and decent thing to do and why wouldn't you do it again it surely it, it doesn't acquire its moral status by the simple fact that it's only going to happen once ever by the way I'm just not. we had a once and only ever amnesty for tax, I think in 1988, was it, 1988? Which uh, did so well that we had another once-off forever amnesty, I think, 1993, and then we had another one in the 2000s. They did get in around a billion quid. First one got in half a billion quid, when half a billion was money, Gary, back in the late 80s. But yes, the 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 once-off amnesty turned out to be not a once off am- amnesty at all, and um, I can't see why this would be any different.
0: What is happening here is the Department of Justice have announced a once in a generation amnesty for seventeen thousand undocumented migrants. That's the way it's being put out by the government. Yeah, at the minute, it's James Brown, the junior minister of the Faller. Who's mostly pushing it? Because the actual minister is away, indisposed, Michael, for personal reasons.
1: It's important we should know that it's James Brown, the minister for justice and TD from County Wexford, not the father of soul.
0: Not the father of soul. No, sadly.
1: Sadly, that could that would be so much better. If the Minister for Justice was James Brown, the father of soul, well, that would be a world, that would be just a better world to live in. It would also mean that James Brown would still be alive. There you go.
0: The actual Minister, Helen McEntee, has also talked about this. And in the same line, 17,000 undocumented migrants. James Brown is selling this, Michael, as a way to, you know, regularise the position of trafficked sex workers. I think we had an amnesty for that purpose, 10 or 15 years ago, didn't we?
1: I think it's curious that the very first line in the report on this independence is women being exploited in sex industry are among the 17,000 undocumented migrants, blah, 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 blah. So we're se- that's where we're starting, that's where we're setting the bar. Now, I have any human being would, would, one would hope to have sympathy with, th- with these women, but I'm skeptical to the degree that these women are going to be in a position. To freely avail of this amnesty? I Maybe they will. Maybe this will have a positive effect for them. I remember when I was living in Milan, it used to happen that the, the, the women that were being trafficked in this were essentially kept under lock and key. They were treated as slaves. And occasionally what they would do is they would throw themselves at police cars. I, I And this sounds like a horribly bad joke, but there was a period where Cop cars at night in Milan. I I I see. They were given the instructions to slow, slow down going through certain areas because women were hurting themselves because of the, the the speed of cars. So I I can't imagine that these women are simply engaged in this in the sex industry and in a in just okay. Well, I could be regularized now. I and just go off to my local civic center office and say what well, I want to apply for this. Amnesty, uh, it seems to me to be uh, a well-meaning but naive assumption. I am very, very far from being expert in the area of women being exploited in the Section of in but that's how it's being set up.
0: It's not just the women being exploited. It's also Afghan nationals who are already here. You know, it could potentially save those as well. I feel the PR push on this has possibly gone slightly too far. Just a collection of what are horrible things. Okay. Let's say we'll save people from those.
1: Brazilian lads working in bars in Cable Street maybe doesn't quite cut the uh, empathy cake as well.
0: So this figure of 17,000, they keep saying 17,000. When you read The Independent, actually, it says that this scheme will be for the up to 17,000 illegible undocumented migrants living in Ireland. Yes, And I, Michael, being a troublesome sort, decided... I would try and find the source for that number. Is, is there a cap of 17,000 on that scheme? Is that, is that what this means? No, that's not what this means, Michael. It looks like what happened is 17,000 is the estimate of how much demand for this there will be, but it's not the department's estimate. Because when I asked the Department of Justice, they said they had no internal estimates at all of how many illegal immigrants are in the country.
1: Now, I, before we go on, Gary, I, because I know this is not your point, but I do think that there is a point to, to, to make here in, a, in passing. The Department of Justice has no estimate. The Department of Justice has no estimate, no clue, no notion of the number of people who are in the country illegally. It doesn't have a number. Some is their attitude.
0: What they said to me was, we do not have any official data on the number of undocumented people in the state, as such people tend to avoid official notice. Well, there you go. So, where does that 17,000 figure come from if it's not coming from the department? Because it's politicians are using it, the media is using it. When you go back through the dull debates on this topic, everyone is using it. And I think I found where it came from. The Migrant Rights Centre of Ireland, which is an NGO which is primarily, I believe, backed by state money, has given an estimate that there are 17,000 undocumented people in the state. The problem, Michael, there is I can't find any publication by the MRCI that actually gives that figure and shows how it has gotten to, demonstrates there's any methodology at all behind it, rather than it being, shall we say a bit of a guess. Now I found older publications that talk about older estimates that they have which do give some methodology. The problem there is those reports also say the methodology is garbage. It's just very difficult to get a figure here. So they openly admit that the figures aren't good. And by the way they used to say there were up to 25,000 illegal immigrants in the country. And I'm pretty sure I heard one of their spokespeople, even earlier this year, saying it was 20,000 and above. Anyway, it seems like 17,000 is the the figure everyone has gotten to now. But there doesn't seem to be any evidence for it.
1: Listen, I many years, well, it feels like many years ago, I became curious about the number of people working in the country from outside, who are from, and it wasn't, because I had any particular axe to grind about. Migration that was happening. The large scale migration was happening from Eastern Europe, principally Poland and the and the Baltic countries. But we had other, shall we say, as we say, undocumented migrations that were coming in. You had a lot of people coming in from China and from South America, particularly Brazil, who were coming in under the guise of, uh, allegedly, of uh, English language schools that were being set up, but actually they were just covers for people who were coming over to work and whatever. So I decided. There were numbers, Gary, but this is your. When you said you're going to train, I thought, <laughs> this is going to drive him mad because, to the extent that there were numbers, say, for the EU citizens that were coming here, because unlike a lot of countries after the accession of some of the Eastern European countries, we didn't put a limit on them. We did put a limit, the only limit we put on was you had to be here working continuously for two years before you could avail of social welfare. The numbers they basically were the PRSI numbers, and that was whatever figure he got was that. But I talked to the embassies and the Polish embassies, the, the Baltic embassies, and others, and all of them had significantly higher estimates of what of the of the nationals living in the country. There, uh, but the methodology that was used. In any any group to find out say the number of Chinese the, the number of Brazilians working in the country there was no methodology, it was pure guesswork and if you could find the guy that had done the he would tell you well, we don't really know, I remember one guy did it on the basis that there was something happening in the Chinese embassy and he counted the number of people queuing up for the day and extrapolated from that with some algorithm of in his own head that that was the number of Chinese people living in Dublin that were undocumented, but the Estonians tried simply by standing in the airports in Estonia and counting the number of people and interviewing people uh, who were leaving the country and if they were going, wherever they were going and asking them, rather than, because they couldn't get the, the, the airlines wouldn't tell them, they wouldn't give them the details because there were privacy issues. Nobody knows. Nobody has a clue about any of these these things. The census figures are all wrong because if you talk to people like which I did in the Polish community and the Brazilians, because I have friends, in the Brazilian community, as you know, they studiously avoid the, the, the census and the census figures will not will not show up anything. The numbers it gives here for 17,000, I was talking to a couple of lads because we both came on this story independently of each other. I was talking to a couple of lads and I said, well, how many? Just would If we say a, a third, say there's five or 6,000 Brazilians in Dublin that are undocumented, does that sound low to you or high or right? Everybody said, oh, no, there's more than that. There's more than that. No listen, my anecdot- my anecdote my, my is no better than theirs. I, it would I'm, I can't pretend that I have anything harder than the numbers they are given, but everything that I know of says, suggests to me that this is an oddly low number would, that just just seems to feels like it's been plucked from the sky. Now, they may have good reasons for that, but I'd be curious, if they do have decent reasons, I'd like to see them, because I'm curious, genuinely curious to see where they got them from.
0: I have written to them and asked for their methodology, and asked them what was the change that got them from 26,000 in uh, 2014 to 17,000 now. And interestingly enough, like I was able to find some old studies which had looked at their figures, but all of the links to their initial work from that period... That relate to those numbers are gone. Everything 404s. And the only things that have been archived are infographics of it. There's no complete report that I can find. But I suppose the reason I wanted to talk about this, I may as well explain before we go further into it, is this. The government is planning to implement very soon, they they estimate this thing is going to be up and running by November, a program to enable people who have broken the law to regularize their position and the government effectively has no idea how many of these people there are. They have no estimates, they're giving a figure out and they are briefing people that this is the maximum amount, but that's not the case. They have no idea how many people are going to come forward for this, but they're trying to sell it as something that it's not. And I was saying earlier that I don't care what the immigration system is as long as it is what people want. And it reflects the cultural values of it. How can you have a policy that reflects the value of the country if the politicians who are charged with implementing it or decide to implement it aren't honest about what they know and what they don't know? Like, I haven't heard any note of ambiguity as to how many people this thing will actually impact on. But when I talked to the department, they didn't even try to explain these numbers. They just immediately said, we don't have any.
1: Is if... If they had some basis to arrive at that number, I would be willing to say, okay, that's fine. As long as there was also with that a certain degree of honesty and to say, but frankly, this is a guesstimate. Because of the nature of what we're doing here, we can't really be sure. But we, we did this poll, we did this survey, we, we, we went to some groups and we asked these questions and this is the number we arrived at. But that, I, we haven't been able to locate... Data which would suggest that anything like that has actually gone on.
0: No, I mean there there was an EU project in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, called the uh, clandestino project, and that didn't look at Ireland directly. It, it it talked to some people from Ireland, but didn't go into detail. But they extrapolated from data using the UK's data, and they said, well, there's probably thirty to sixty two thousand illegal immigrants. This was in two thousand and eight.
1: Was that a EU EU project or was that connected to the Pew project?
0: That was an EU project. The Pew project, and this is what I'm actually trying to get the numbers for at the minute. In 2019, Pew Research Centre, which is a non-partisan think tank, it's an American think tank, does a lot of good work. I don't always agree with what they say, but they are generally very thorough. And more than that, they are very good at what they do.
1: They're kind of the the gold standard of this kind of stuff.
0: For, for a lot of stuff like this, they would be, yeah. And they looked at it and they said, well, in 2019, there was probably four to five million illegal immigrants in the EU. And they did all the standard provisos of, we can't be sure, and, but here's why we think it's this. And there's an actual methodology to it.
1: When, when that number came out, I know that a number of people working in the sector in Italy believed that it was a significant underestimate. Both, particularly the German, the, the French, German, and Italian numbers. But that's another story.
0: The thing with the Pew data and um, the issue with the, um, the migrants' rights data is that the Pew data has a methodology. It can be checked, it is fundamentally falsifiable. This 17,000 figure that seems to have nothing behind it. Maybe there was a private piece of research which was shown to some people. But there's nothing publicly debatable on it. You can't argue against it because there's nothing for it. But if we were to take the Pew data and basically assume Ireland has an amount of that illegal immigration proportionate to its uh, percentage of the total European population, you would be looking at forty to 50,000 illegal immigrants. Now, that doesn't have to be right, but that's three times higher than what the government is saying.
1: And there would be decent reasons to believe that if you're going to take the Pew base number as accurate or fairly accurate, that the Irish numbers would actually be lower, that it wouldn't be quite proportionate. We are farther away. We have... I mean, and this sound, and it's not a joke, we, we don't have a good climate, and people do actually like to live in places where the climate is better. And it's we are hard to get into. You have to come through either a port or an airport, and therefore... You can't just get in a train or drive or, or a bus or drive a car and go cross borders. We're not part of Schengen, so there are uh, passport restrictions. So there are reasons that it's a little bit tougher to get in here, and therefore you might assume that the numbers are going to be... Whether they would be that much lower or not is another question, because there, is, there, there are other advantages on the other hand. It's an English-speaking country, which for some people is going to be attractive, and it's a country with, with significant social structures.
0: The figure we've picked seems to be based on absolutely fucking nothing. But we're saying it as if we've got great confidence in it and media is reporting it as, well, it will only be this number. And immigration is not really my issue. I don't really care that much about immigration, but I care about competency. And if you have a government minister coming out and saying, this policy is going to have X impact, and it actually turns out that with trivial ease, you could look at it and go, well, actually, some of the stats suggests it could have three to four times X impact. Surely that's an issue, just in general. Yeah, yeah,
1: you'd like to believe that there's there's, there's 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 a reason a a reasonably solid reason to believe that the numbers are X rather than Y. In the middle of the report here, there's a quote, and I'm wondering, is this something to do with the rationalisation of further Is this just something which is thrown out there as a as a canard just to distract people? Where the Minister makes reference to the fact that the Irish regularly ask the Americans to institute some kind of amnesty for Irish people who've been living undocumented lives for a long time in the United States and consequently can't leave, can't come home for weddings, can't come home for funerals, that kind of problem. So if we're going to ask the Americans to do that, we have to do the same thing. Otherwise, we're hypocritical. Because we know, Gary, politicians, if there's one thing they hate, it's being inconsistent or hypocritical.
0: But the American figures are a good one to discuss. For years, politicians and NGOs here and the Irish-American NGOs in America and our embassies over there said there were 50,000 Irish-Americans illegally living in America. Sorry, Irish people illegally living in America for years. And then Pew actually did some research into it and said, actually, there's probably about 10,000. And people would, how can there only be 10,000 illegal Irish people in America? We hear about it constantly. And they said, well, what happens is a lot of people overstay, but then they leave. Like they might stay a couple of extra months, but they're not living there. But that's not the view of the migrants' rights people, the people who are giving this 17,000 in America or sorry, in Ireland, they're saying, in their most recent research that I've seen, that there's 50,000 over in America. Now, I'm not saying that they have a particular reason to pick that figure over 10,000. But the 50,000 people have sort of quietly dropped now because the uh, consensus, Michael, is no longer there that that might be accurate. Campaigners (laughs) say it's accurate, but researchers have tended to say things like, There wasn't a shred of evidence for it, actually. Mm. But the thing to remember about the people behind this estimate is they are an NGO. They have been actively campaigning for this amnesty for years. So there might perhaps be a small conflict of interest there. So
1: somebody might speculate that 17,000 is the kind of number that won't frighten the horses is big enough for somebody who isn't really thinking about the subject, but is small enough not, as I say, to frighten the horses. So you can get it through. And then if it turns out that actually it turns into 40 or 50 or 60,000, well, you know, how how could we have known? And you know what, that just shows it was a success. And it's great that these people have been regularised.
0: I'm saying that strategically, I'm not saying they're doing this, Michael, but strategically, if you were an NGO in this area, There is an incentive to give a low figure in Ireland and a high figure in America.
1: Yes, that works for you if you're doing it like that.
0: Anyway, I just wanted to bring it up because I think think the figures being used are effectively misleading. And also, I'm kind of surprised that the Department of Justice, out of all the departments, would take an NGO figure that there doesn't seem to be any research behind. And just go yeah sure let's use that
1: so it just actually it it comes to my head it's not actually germane specific but when i was looking around to try and establish the numbers of the various countries and the various nationalities in uh the estimates on the estonians the small estonian community here but the 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 sense was it was actually something like 60 to 70 percent higher than the the official figures the estonian government had was kind of worried at the time about the number of people who were leaving estonia and they'd identified Ireland as being a place that people were going disproportionately, considering the size of the country. Uh, so they interviewed people in the airports of why they were leaving, and the number one reason why people went to Ireland from Estonia, I thought, was one of the funniest things I'd ever come across in a, in this kind of, thing. and maybe this is why people come to this country. It wasn't I had it wasn't for to make more money. It wasn't for financial security. It was because there was an expectation they would have a better social life in Ireland than they had at home. Now, remember, Gary, most of these people didn't speak English. Most of them were going to a country where they knew nobody. But their expectation was they would have more fun in Ireland than they would staying at home. Which made me think, not a lot of crack in Estonia. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, Jesus, imagine this is why you're leaving will have I'm going to leave home and my friends and the places I know and go to this foreign country where it rains all the time because it'll be more fun, but it's a kind of a compliment for us I suppose in a, in, a, in a kind in a funny kind of a way but there you go it it's just anybody who talks about numbers of this kind in, in the country unless they have done something radical secretly in the last few years about counting people in the country. I'm very skeptical about
0: any of these numbers I mean the ones you know you you see something and it just makes you realize how outside of the times you are yeah like just how different you are in thinking to the people who are talking and it was a debate I think earlier in the year it could have been last year and the minister for justice was talking about how she had met many undocumented as part of this work I did have a little bit of a I just think you that shouldn't happen.
1: <laughs> the Minister for Justice.
0: I feel that we should have a system where undocumented immigrants should not want to meet with the Minister for Justice.
1: <laughs> Presumably accompanied by her garda protection.
0: And then then you I looked at a lot of the migrants' rights stuff, and they're showing and naming people and like on video. And this is sort of well we can't be doing a very good job with the borders. If you can go on to a fucking video and say, I've been here for 16 years and I legally shouldn't be, here's my name. Would you like my address? But they put out a couple of these videos and they always have multiple people in them. And they've always been here for a decade. You do have to sort of go, well, maybe an element of this we should be examining is are we doing this? Well, we're doing this largely because the program for government says we should do it. And Fianna because Fianna have yet to find an unpopular measure they aren't fully behind have come behind this yeah absolutely at least the finnegalers when i talk to them they know they shouldn't be doing this but a little bit of this is just is it that they are that bad at the actual immigration the implementation of the border policies
1: but you're talking about your know, competence about enforcing the law gary is it, because uh, women who are being exploited in the sex industry is referenced very specifically in a lot of this stuff. I'm reminded of a, a comment made by a mutual friend of ours once. Some, many years ago, uh, there was a problem in a town, a large town in the country, where it was widely believed that there were one or two brothels operating in the city. Now, the guardie could not find them to close them down. But the observation was made by our friend. Was it was odd the guards couldn't find them, but drunk men at three o'clock in the morning could find them with no problem at all. Well,
0: how are the guards to compete with that? Unless they wanted to get drunk at three a.m. in the morning.
1: I am sure you found the odd guard that has done precisely that. But certainly, I'm not that I minute mean suggest would then go and find some kind of house of ill repute. But it, it seemed to me to be a very excellent point. If you're, if you're a drunk man at three o'clock in the morning wandering the streets of the city, and you can find your way to a brothel, how the hell can the guards not? But anyway, competency is sometimes a, a weird and mysterious thing.
0: The interesting thing about this, from well, a from Fine Gael perspective, is that this came up in 2000 and I think 17, because there had been a parliamentary report which recommended an amnesty, And Charlie uh, Flanagan was the Minister for Justice. He kicked it to shit. (laughs) And I've just been reading through some of his speeches and they also point out, and this is a bit problematic Mm. now, that there's no reliable way to know how many of these people there are. There's a bit of a problem now when you turn around and do it, if you've got former Ministers of Justice from the same party as the current Minister for Justice... Going, well, we're not going to do it because it's got issues for, you know, rule of law. And also we can't actually tell how many of these people there are.
1: Well, in the in, in the words of the great Bertie Hearn, that was
0: then, this is now. So move along. You see, it was a lot easier when Bertie was there because there wasn't as much internet. <laughs> and it was harder to find records.
1: Ah, Bertie didn't care about that old nonsense. Come on, lads, there's nothing to see here. Come on, change the subject, change the subject. That was very much Bertie's approach to these things, and yeah, we all tended to go along with it because it was Bertie.
0: Finegel, when they were kicking this apart in 2017, brought up the fact there had been estimates of up to sixty thousand illegal immigrants in the country. And they seem to have forgotten that one in the intervening years. It's it's always hard, Michael, to see the loss of institutional knowledge. <laughs>
1: It may be that new data has been assembled on the basis of new information and that when that information is revealed to us, we should say, OK, we see it now. We are convinced. Fire ahead. Well, actually, you might say fire ahead. You, 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 you might say, I don't care if it's 17,000 or 700. They're all, they're, they've broken the law and that's all I need to know.
0: Anyway, we're just going to do it anyway. So, you know, fuck the real law. And really, fuck the immigrants who went through the proper procedures, or those who left because, you know, they were denied permission or a visa. And, like, gobshites, obeyed the law. Can you imagine, Michael? I think we can all just look at them now and just say, this is what you get for having respect for the institutions of the country in which you find yourself. <laughs> Cobb <does. sighs> God, I'm tired of this government. (laughs) At least when Sinn Féin get in, there will be a variety of new fuck-ups in spectacular new ways.
1: Oh, well, this is true. Yeah. I confidently expect that to be true.
0: Like, we'll, we'll do something like have a state memorial for someone who set a woman on fire. And in doing so, we'll start some incredible diplomatic issue.
1: Although, on the other hand, I I think, was it Tolstoy said, all happy families are happy in the same way. All unhappy families are happy in their own particular way. And that's why you write novels about unhappy families. You know, maybe it's the case that all bad governments are just are bad in the same way and mm-hmm that new Sinn Féin will actually turn out to be a terrible disappointment. It'll all be just the same shit, just rehashed, with a little bit of green and a little bit of red painted over it.
0: We've talked before about problems with people calling for you know, problematic sites or things they view as racist or homophobic or offensive, basically, for that to be not just boycotted, but for things like payment processors to get involved. And pull away from them so they can't actually access the banking system. And we've argued before that politicization of that sort of stuff, of things that should be effectively pillars and should have no opinion on most things, is incredibly dangerous because it influences so much else. And I think we were making the point that for all of this call that it would be racist things or transphobic things that would be impacted by this... It was very clear that the first thing that was going to be taken offline was anything to do with sex work, or pornography, or prostitution. And in that vein, OnlyFans, which for those who aren't aware is basically a subscription service where you subscribe to particular creators. It was designed for artists and music lovers and became very, very popular with uh, prostitutes, strippers, just general run-of-the-mill e-girls. There's a fella from
1: Ireland who mows the lawn with his shirt off and makes thousands out of it, Gary. Absolutely thousands. There are women all over the world who pay five quid a week, a month, or whatever it is, to watch this fella mow the lawn or hammer things or saw up or chop wood with his shirt off. It's incredible. I tell you, when I discovered this, I thought, finally, an income stream for Michael.
0: OnlyFans has grown in the last two years, maybe? to just a behemoth they're saying that every month they pay out about 300 million to people signed up to it
1: that's the thing when i heard about this first Gary, i don't know about you i was unaware of it until well a little while ago and so said no no this is a real thing, thing now and i found out the kind of money that people were making on this and it's, it's a wonderful example that you don't have to be the kind of person that's going to be paid huge money to do a an erotic movie or something. If you can just get enough fivers, there are there's eight million pe- eight billion people on the planet. A hell of a lot of them seem to be on OnlyFans, and you get enough fivers together, it adds up into serious money very quickly. Oh, it's, it's
0: very small amounts in sufficient numbers are exceptionally powerful.
1: Did you see? I think it was our F- Jedward were complaining that this would. Uh, this was going to punish content creators. Uh, I love the idea that, you know, let's face it, frankly, committing an act of self-gratification or fellatio on a four-minute video is content creation. But there you go.
0: Michael, it's content creation, and those who pay money for this, effectively, masturbation has become an act of philanthropy. And that's just the way this is seen now. OnlyFans, actually, people might be aware of it because... If you recall there was this big story about thousands upon thousands of images being leaked and claims that they involved uh, underage girls and then we actually ended up bringing a law based on it and then it turned out that uh, I think all of them had been leaked from OnlyFans in which case it wasn't actually revenge porn it was a large-scale copyright dispute. Actually that was also brought in by Helen McEntee. That's becoming a habit now. Of bringing in laws and then going, yeah, the reasoning for this wasn't terribly solid, probably should have looked into that more. But on the the OnlyFans thing, they're not doing this because they hate money. Because OnlyFans and pornography are basically synonymous by getting rid of explicit content, they're kneecapping themselves. Why they have done it is because banks put pressure on them to do it. The banks started, and payment companies, started citing reputational risk and refusing their businesses. They were having payments flagged and rejected because of basically intermediary banks, not even the banks they were directly dealing with. Intermediary banks are what they sound like. But let's say if a company has a bank and they're trying to pay a different bank, they might go through an intermediary. It's a standard part of financial transactions that people don't even think about. Except it turns out that if the intermediary banks refuse to deal with you, you're fucked. The intermediary bank,
1: so say I'm banking with the Bank of Ireland or whatever, and I'm on OnlyFans, and they're transferring money to me, they might use an intermediary bank to get the money from the OnlyFans account into my account. And the intermediary bank was flagging this
0: transfer? It was saying that there was a reputational risk to it because of the nature of the content on um, OnlyFans. Who's going to know? A bank can determine anything is is something it doesn't want to deal with or is a reputational risk and it can just refuse to deal with it. So,
1: can we confidently expect that if people are involved in the arms trade in Africa that intermediary banks will flag them up and say this is not the kind of trade we want to be involved
0: in? I can't say for the future, Michael, but historically that has not happened.
1: I can't see. I... I It's not a service that I'm personally involved in, but I can't see the notion that reputational damage... Who is going to care that a bank is being used as a conduit to get money from X to Y?
0: Well, that's the thing. If you start increasingly politicising everything and every single involvement that anyone or anything has ever had with anything that could be deemed problematic, yeah, banks are going to start suddenly caring quite a lot about where money is going.
1: But the problem there is, Gary... And I'm not saying this jokingly. Nobody knows what is problematic. Well,
0: you see, that's the thing. So you start guessing. And then suddenly you have something which is required for modern living and should be totally just uncaring towards you as long as you abide by legal obligations. Suddenly going, you know what? No. And you saw this with like some of the... Um, militia groups and the like in America, the banks would refuse to deal with them. And of course, many people on the left thought this was fantastic and didn't think for a second, is there any chance they'll do that to us, though? Because if they've started saying, actually, we won't take any money from certain political groups, eh, you're starting, now it's just a question of when it gets to you. Also, I mean, it might sound on
1: the face of it like a, a silly example, but say, if you're a company, your company is involved in the, produ- the production of fossil fuels of some kind, coal, oil, whatever, and you, it's not impossible to imagine that somebody is going to say, well, no, you're involved, you're killing the planet, you're poisoning the, the atmosphere, you're raising the oceans, you're going to drown and kill us all. That one day people decide that you can't get involved in that, or, oh, IPhones, but aren't they made by little slave children? Or you, this is this is something which is using rare earth earth metals, which are being dug by slave workers out of the ground somewhere in Zaire and in, in the Congo. I, where does it? St- I, I, any example you might win, wish to give some, of, of international commerce? You might say, well, on the face of it, no, that's just silly, but I don't see why it's any one is sillier than the other. All of these things are hotly contested by somebody. And if you're talking environmental issues, by very large numbers of people, very large organizations that are very good at getting their message out there and creating mass movements in social media, surely you wouldn't be beyond their power to start targeting I don't BP or, or ESO or Texaco or who or whoever you, the hell you want. Where do you stop doing this? Or Gary, is there? Or all is all of this just simply a gap in the market for somebody to set up a couple of large banks and say we're the utterly unethical banks. We'll handle anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that's the you know the continuation of the well. If you don't like your the service, build your own. And then be, you eventually get to well, if you don't like it, build your own financial system, which is a big ask. And actually, as we've seen with crypto, if you build your own financial system, it'll eventually get regulated anyway.
1: No, I don't like this. I don't like this stuff. I know this is essentially a very bad news story um, because obviously the content creators are being punished by this. There is a good news story on another platform, which is Twitter. Now, a lot of people have been complaining about Twitter and Facebook, you know, using their political position to shut down discourses, narratives that they don't like. Gary, you'll be delighted to know, Twitter has said that Taliban can stay on the platform if they obey the rules. No, it's just a small, it just amuses me that Donald Trump can get banned, but the Taliban can stay on as long as they obey the rules. I mean, I would have thought that the Taliban kind of, by their basic presence, their actions, their, I mean. Is it okay to, you know, tweet? uh great result for Cabo FC last night when they beat the Peshwaris by three to one or something. At the same time as you're organizing stonings in the street square or beheadings or you're chopping the arms off people who are involved in helping the Americans or something like that. I mean, is this a weird form of cultural deference? I don't get it. It's not either, actually, that I'm looking for Twitter desperately to ban the Taliban from Twitter, either.
0: No, I think the Taliban should be on Twitter. Then again, I also thought Islamic State should have been on Twitter more. And they were on Twitter quite a lot, actually, at the time.
1: Not that any of their tweets made me think, you know what, I think I'll go and live in an Islamic State.
0: You know, Michael, since the Islamic State fell, I haven't seen a single video of someone being put into a cage... And drowned in a swimming pool. Really? Not a single one. That's the kind of material we've lost. And occasionally they'd put you in a cage and set you on fire. So they were always willing to keep the traditional aspect, but apply it in innovative directions.
1: But we should always remember that uh, they were heavily criticised by the theological consultant to Al-Qaeda for doing the cage on fire thing.
0: Yeah, that was pretty hardcore, actually.
1: Yeah, that drew a lot of criticism, you know being uh, on Quranic so we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't remember we shouldn't forget that well we listen we can we can only uh, uh, wait and see what the Taliban will produce for social media I'm just slightly glad that I'm many many thousands of miles away from them and I really would not like to be one of those poor people still trapped in that country which could mean either Europeans trying to get out or the Afghans were stuck there anyway but hey ho that's by the way. Do you see they have announced that there's a the, the 31st is the hard is the hard date. Everybody out by the 31st of August and after that shut down.
0: Yeah, I also saw that we have agreed to take uh, Afghan refugees. And then I had a look at the type of Afghan refugees we'd be taking and uh, we are going to be prioritizing those Michael who worked in international organizations and NGOs. Well,
1: gosh, that's a change from for the Irish official position, to prioritise people working in the UN and NGOs. God,
0: well. I love that we've managed to find the, the war in Afghanistan and find a way to benefit NGOs from it. Also, that strikes me as something that the Americans should do, the British should do, and we didn't really have any part in. <laughs>
1: yeah. We are, I believe, sending... Are we
0: sending the Rangers over? We are meant to be, yes. I'm not sure to do what watch, maybe.
1: Um, there was there was a thi- there was a thing on social media today, it was a photograph of somewhere in Af- in Kabul. It said there is there is at the moment the world's finest collection of special forces ever seen anywhere operating today. The French have theirs in, the Americans obviously have theirs, the Polish have sent their special forces in, and I imagine lots of other people have. So naturally we had to send the Rangers in. I remember my uncle got me good to him, who had involved in, shall we say, security issues in the United Kingdom, saying it used to amuse them every time anything happened in the world. Somebody in the House of Commons would stand up and say, let's send in the SAS. He said, it's like the, the SAS, he said, you get them inside two buses. So, what they really want to do is send in the French Foreign Legion, but we don't have the French Foreign Legion.
0: That's the thing. Like The French do something like that with the French Foreign Legion. They just love sending them in, except they do send them in. Yeah. And usually they are pretty effective.
1: And still to this day, I, am to- I remember Bill saying this to me again. Bill had been stationed in what was formerly uh, Aden. And he was there f- organising the, the British withdrawal from that. And then f- sometime through the, the late 60s and early 70s he had connections with, Africa, with East Africa. And he said it was commonplace. And he said it had continued because he knew he had security clearance anyway. He said it was it was everybody in the knew about it. And he said con- continues to this day, the F- French intervene across Africa, day in day out. Well, not quite day in day out, but it's it never it never gets to the papers. It's never reported. The Legion arrive. They do what they do, which usually involves killing some people. And by the next day, they're gone and they're they're back home. But uh, they just they don't do it shall we say under the the eye of the television cameras they're not interested in publicity that's not what they're about it's their job to protect British, french citizens and i think in africa they've they pretty well understand if you're going to do something nasty to a french guy you're going to you have to expect that there is going to be a response
0: every now and then the french government will publish uh, the overseas deployments of its military yeah and it's always just like french foreign legion Here's twenty countries. <laughs> and you you just go through the list and you're like, When did this happen? When yes. was when was the Fire Legion in Burkina Faso? Nobody will know,
1: nobody will tell you, but they were there.
0: And then they're like, Oh, we had a we had a detachment there. Like, what? When?
1: As Billy would say, you know, it was very easy to know that they'd been there because you go to a place where there had been a village full of insurgents and now there wasn't a village full of insurgents anymore. They were all gone.
0: Oftentimes there wasn't a village.
1: Oftentimes, yes.
0: Yeah, I'm always kind of surprised the French Foreign Legion actually still exists because of the coup. Well, the attempted coup.
1: The attempted coup with the Algerians.
0: Yeah, so the, uh, the French Foreign Legion's base of operations was in Algeria, mm-hmm. and the French decided that they were going to give up Algeria, and they ran into this problem immediately. The French Foreign Legion put a lot of emphasis on building an identity as a member of the French Foreign Legion because they have so many nationalities and they need to get them to work together that they really make it a focus. And part of that is the history and the doctrine of the Legion. And it turned out they had been very, very successful at that. Because when the French government announced it was going to give up the place that the Legion's headquarters was in, the Legions went, but what if we kill you first? And decided that the only thing to do here was to take out the French government.
1: And if anybody wants a good fictional account of that kind of stuff, The Day of the Jackal is still a rattly good movie. The plot to assassinate De Gaulle.
0: Anyway, the French Foreign Legion failed and that's why their officers are now French instead of foreign.
1: Yeah, why they're in Corsica and Marseille, not in Algeria.
0: We will be back on Friday. Bye-bye. All the best.